Okay, let's carry on this series then. We're in a series side by side, given today, today the title Life Together. And this, uh, this understanding of the concept of together is a very important aspect of Christianity. There is uh, right at the heart of our faith is this idea that we live in relationship together with God, first and foremost, but also with one another. We are made to be together. And it's always been this way. Even since the very beginning, Genesis, way back at the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, as God creates everything, he creates man so that man might live with God together. But then God, when God formed Adam from the dust, he was, to begin with, the only human on the planet. Now, can you imagine how that must have felt? Being the only human on the planet. For some of us, you think that sounds like a dream. Amazing. No one else around. And some of us, that literally sounds like my idea of hell. Nobody to talk to and nobody to interact with. But can you imagine how lonely he must have felt? Except actually, he wouldn't have felt lonely at all. Because he would have known God and been in the presence of God. And it was before sin entered the world. And so he was in this perfect harmony. Everything is perfect. And yet God still says... Hey, that's not actually good for man to be alone. Genesis 2.18, he literally says those words. It's not good for man to be alone, which if you've heard those words quoted before, often in the context of marriage, it's not good for man to be alone. But truthfully, those words are not really about marriage at all. They're actually very little to do with marriage and everything to do with our humanity. We are not designed to be alone. We are designed to be created to be together. And so God creates Eve, and that's the very first little community that the world ever saw. Now we're some 7.7 roughly billion people later, and there is now rarely a moment when we're not in close proximity to other people, and yet feelings of loneliness and isolation are probably right now more prevalent than they have ever been in history. Nearly a third of people in the UK, the statistics tell us, and that's probably grossly underestimated, but nearly a third of people in the UK often feel lonely. And interestingly enough, it's an increasingly modern phenomenon. I was reading an article not so long ago in the Guardian newspaper that said this, before 1800, the English word loneliness did not exist. People lived in small communities. They tended to believe in God, which meant they were never really alone, even when they were physically isolated. And there was a philosophical concept of the community as a source of common good. There was no need for a language of loneliness. Wow, imagine that, living in a site where there was no need for a language of loneliness because community was seen as a philosophical concept for the common good. It was good for us to be with other people. Now, here's the thing. Today, where we are right now, in 2019, there might be a lot more of us around and we might always seem like we are together with other people in terms of in close proximity, but that doesn't always mean we're together, actually living together in community, in relationship with one another. And so this idea of life together in community is something that we, as a church, we need to fight for. See, community is a source of, of common good, and, and that's part of the reason why uh, isolation and loneliness and feelings like that are so devastating is because we were not designed to be alone. We were, I'm not talking about 
being married here and, and understanding, oh, it's not good for you to be by yourself. That's nonsense. Whether you're, whether you're married or single, we are not designed to do this life alone. We are designed, we are created to be in community. Now, we're going to look at Hebrews 10 in just a moment, but I just want to just kind of stress, it's been said again and again and again over the last few weeks, a few reasons why community is so very, very important. And the first is to understand that we were, this is what we were created for. We were created for community. Whether you're a Christian or not, no matter how you're wired, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, whether you're socially adept or socially awkward, something in your soul longs for community because we are social creatures. Even feral children, kids abandoned in the woods, in the wild, they'll make friends with animals. That's what that documentary Jungle Book's all about. It's, that's, we are designed for that. We are social creatures. We're made, and the reason we are is because we are made in the image of a God who has eternally existed in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always in community from, be- from, the, well, from before time began. He has always existed in community. And God's perfect plan from the beginning was that we would exist not in isolation, but in relationship, in relation, in community with others, both for our good but more importantly, for God's glory. And this is important, not just because it's good for us, but because it brings and it shapes and it displays, when we do live in community, it displays God's glory, which is ultimately what our lives are all about. You see, here's an important thing to understand. God is glorified most when he is properly reflected in us. And he is only properly reflected in us when we are in community with one another. We don't bring full glory to God when we're just by ourselves separate but when we're together as a people we rep, we properly reflect God and we properly bring glory to him so we're created for community second thing we need to understand is that community then is essential essential and kind of central to our Christian identity we were created for community and we were saved for community 1 Peter 2 10 once you are not a people but now you are a people Not once you were just a bunch of isolated individuals, but you were once not a people. You weren't part of a people. But now, because of what Jesus has done for you, when you put your trust in him and you became a Christian, you've now been added into a people repeatedly throughout the New Testament. We're told that Jesus wants to create a people, not merely isolated individuals who believe in him. We're we're not saved individually and then choose to join church like it's some kind of club or social group. No, no, Christ died for his people. And we are saved by faith when we become part of the people for whom Jesus died. And it's only in community where we begin to understand who we now are. It's only in community where we begin to understand and find our identity, where we begin to understand, oh, this is who I am now. I'm now part of the family of God. I'm part of the fellowship of the Spirit. I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm, I'm part of the people of God. Community is not kind of some peripheral teaching It's okay, nice, good thing. No, 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 it's central to our understanding of what it is to be a Christian. Third thing is that community is also central to mission. See, God wants to use our community, our big community across all our venues, our smaller community across each individual venue, and then the smaller communities of which we're part of. God wants to use our communities as messy and as broken as they are to draw other people into his story and introduce them to Jesus. So Matthew 5, verse 13, where Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. 
We are the salt of the earth together. It's one of the roles we have is to be salt, is to preserve the goodness of God and his creation. Now, a single grain of salt is not going to preserve much at all. You put a single bit of salt on your chips, it doesn't change the taste very much. You dunk the whole thing on, you're going to notice. That's the point of salt. It's like we, it's all us together, not just individual isolated grains. We are the salt of the earth. Look at verse 14. We are the city on the hill. It's our city lights that shine. These visible behavior shines bright. You think about space for a moment and you look at the earth, you don't see hamlets. You don't see individual houses. You see cities. They're the ones that shine bright. Why? Because there's lots of them together. doesn't matter how impressive your individual house is. It's about a togetherness. It's about a city that shines, that is visible and bright. Community, then, is central to our mission. And the fourth thing, and this is what we're going to look at here today, is that community is the context in which we grow and in which we change. C.S. Lewis, um, at one point in Mere Christianity, writes something like this. Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. We are carriers of Christ to each other. It's easy to think the church has many purposes, education, buildings, missions, holding services. But the purpose of all those purposes is one. The church has no other purpose than to draw people into Christ, to make them little, like little Christs. If they're not doing that, then all the cathedrals, missions, sermons, even the teaching of the Bible are simply a waste of time. Wow. And it's against this as a background that above all he works on us through each other that I want to look at Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read verse from verse 23. We'll go back to verse 19 in a bit. But let, from verse 23, just a couple of verses, and we're going to hang out here for these next few moments. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, if you've been coming the last few weeks, you'll have heard again and again and again this idea, side by side, we need one another, you need one another, need one another. You, you're, you're not, if you're a brick without a wall, then what good's that? You need to be a brick in the wall. That is, we need to be together. And it's simply impossible to overstate the importance and the centrality of community to the Christian. You, we, we just, you can't do this thing by yourself. And this passage not only describes the, the necessity of uh, Christian community and what our responsibilities together in this community are, but it also serves as a kind of standing rebuke, albeit a very uh, loving, gentle rebuke, but a, a, a rebuke nonetheless to the idea that you can be a Christian and not be part of the Christian community. You see, evidently there was, there was a bit of a problem here. Some of the people who professed faith in Jesus, who, who said that they were Christians, they developed the habit or the custom of only showing up on occasion, of kind of only, uh, of only coming when they felt like it, of neglecting to make regular attendance at and, and participation in the communal life of the church a part of their experience. They were kind of like, well, I am, but I'm not going to play my part. Now, let, let's just be really clear. I think it's really important to understand that meeting together here is not just, in, in this text, is not just simply a Sunday service. It's not just coming to a Sunday meeting. The, the stirring up and the encouraging of one another all kind of suggests like this communal feel that goes way beyond the 90 minute or two hours if you're serving or 
two hours and ten minutes if you're being sociable. Time once a week on a Sunday. The early church, we, we read in Acts 2, we looked at it a few weeks ago, met together in the temple weekly, but also in one another's homes. They were in and out of each other's lives, all the one another verses. So much wasn't just to do with a meeting once a week on a Sunday. And the idea of just turning up once a week on a Sunday would have been so kind of removed from the early Christians' experience, they wouldn't have even known what you were talking about. They would not understand the concept of going to church. They were the church, and as part of being the church, they would gather together. And so let's just be really clear. What we're doing today, right here, right now, is absolutely critical. The kind of hearing of the Word of God read and and preached and applied, the kind of corporate worship in song and corporate praying together and the hearing of testimonies and the the stirring and the encouraging of one another, the the celebrating of baptism and Lord's Supper, all those things, really crucial to the life of a believer. But so is meeting together in smaller contexts with smaller group of believers, what we in New Community call communities. We changed the name to communities of our small groups a few years ago partly because in church like we like changing things and we kind of we've had that title for a little while and now it's it's been called this and it's been called that and it's been called every name under the sun and no one could remember the last time we called it communities so let's call it communities because hey change is as good as a rest in church life but more importantly we changed it to communities because we wanted to get away from this idea that it was a group that you attended once a week it was a community that you were part of And as part of being in that community, sometimes you would meet together, just the same way I'm in my family, and sometimes we do things together. But even if I'm not doing stuff together, I'm still every bit as part of my family. This sense of, actually, we belong to a community. And so when we're looking at this about neglecting to meet together, we are talking about Sunday meetings, yep, and also what we describe as communities, that together, life together aspect of Christian life. Here's the thing, we need to protect meeting together. And yet this passage makes it clear that some people don't see the necessity of it. And and just to be really truthful with you for a moment, our experience at New Community across all of our venues and meetings and sites is that there are a number of people, not everyone, who calls New Community their home is involved beyond attending on a Sunday. Now, if you're looking in, If you're new to all of this and you're looking in and you're just coming to check us out, you are so welcome. And you're so welcome to observe for for as long as you feel until you get to that point of going, actually, I I feel like I'm comfortable enough to come on a a little bit of a journey. And you're so welcome with that. If you've just come on Sundays so far, then you're so welcome to just keep doing that. But what you've got to understand is that at some point, you're going to need to make a decision to make a step in and a step beyond just meeting on a Sunday. And if you've been coming along for a little while now, we're launching a DNA course in a couple of weeks time which is an opportunity for you to find out a bit more to come and say okay what is it actually to be more than just a Sunday attender a new community what does that look like and we'd encourage you to sign up Tony and Jenny and others would love to chat to you about what DNA actually is and uh, work out whether it's the right thing for you but what we've got to understand is that this we've got to protect this meeting together that's more than just Sunday attendance now before we delve into all of this I just want to be clear that We're not talking here about the person who misses the odd week here or there, like for illness if you're sick or going on holiday. It's not like the take-home of this message is you are never allowed to be sick on a Sunday again. That's not what it is. Or you need to get your holidays approved and signed off by Tony before you don't come on a Sunday. that's, That's called a cult. That's weird. That's not what we're about, okay? But what we are talking about here is a habit that some had developed. And you don't develop a habit overnight. It takes time to develop a habit. You don't just do something once and that's a habit. 
It's when you do it again and again and again and again and again. It becomes a habit. It's a pattern of living. You see, we don't start there with a habit, but we do, if we're not careful, slide there. You miss a week because you're sick. It's not your fault. That's cool. That's what happens. And then next week, you're a bit late home from kind of work or you're a bit tired and you figured, well, I I missed last week and it didn't do me that much harm. I'm still here. I'm still breathing. God's still good to me. I've prayed and I've read my Bible. So actually, if I miss this week as well, it's not ideal, but it's it's not such a big deal. It's all good. And then the following week, you are going to be away anyway because of something else. And so now you've kind of missed three weeks in a row and then you think, oh, I probably... I probably should go, but everything's kind of cool and no major sins have been committed, no real harm done. And then you turn up on the fourth week and guess what? Everyone's super friendly to you and really nice to you. And you think, hey, actually it didn't matter so much that I wasn't here the last three weeks because I turned up, no one had a go at me. Everyone was really nice to me. Everyone was super encouraging to me and and my life hasn't fallen apart in the last month. So maybe I don't really know. So then you get to the next week and you think, actually, I don't want to go. I'm a bit tired or this happened or that person upset me or they didn't reply to my email or, or whatever it might be. And you think, I ain't going. And actually, I missed three weeks in a row, and I went last week, and it's all good. So this week doesn't hugely matter. And then, well, and soon before you realize it, you're in a habit. Once once every three weeks, or once every four weeks, or once when I'm serving, or once when it's my turn to to do the word bit in the community, or once when it's my turn to host, or whatever it might be. And you begin to see that a habit is forming. And here's the thing. You might even begin to justify yourself. I'm doing okay. I've not done any insert whatever major sin you think is inappropriate there. I still believe in God. Things are still going well at work. I kind of like this way of being a Christian by myself. Proverbs 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Ouch. You see, the Bible is full of ouch verses. Full of kind of slap you in the face verses. Full of moments that are warnings. And we don't like warnings. We like to preach the nice verses. Tell me Jesus loves me forever and nothing I can do will separate me from his love. Tell me that I'm more than conqueror. Tell me the nice stuff. We're going to preach the whole counsel of God. We're going to hear these verses too. And what we've got to understand about warnings in scripture is that warnings, as much as we don't like them, they're actually invitations. Don't do this because this is better for you. So come and do this. Don't act like that. That's not so good for you. Because if you act like this, this is an invitation to come do this, and you're going to grow, and things are going to work out good for you. We don't like warnings, but they're there in Scripture for a point. And here's the thing. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. And if you're a Christian here today, we ultimately don't live for our own desires. We live ultimately for the glory of God. And lots of Christians get this wrong. Kind of think, well, this is what I want to do, so... God, would you, it's, not, it's not really wrong, or I hope it's not, so I won't read too much of the Bible just in case it is, and then I can plead ignorance. And God, I'm going to glorify you in it, so will you help me? And the truth be told, whether we realize it or not, often we can be living for our own desires when really we, we should be living for the glory of God. And here's the thing, in the economy of God, when we genuinely are living for the glory of God, and you can't kid him, he's God, he knows everything, can't just say, I'm doing it for the glory of God, and now I'm doing this. Thank you, I got you. No, that ain't going to work. He's smarter than you, and he knows everything. So it's a genuine heart thing. When we're living for the glory of God, in the economy of God, we get our desires met. Because they begin to be shaped by God, not by our own selves. So many Christians get this the wrong way around. Live for my desires and ask God to bless it. No, 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 we live for the glory of God, which means we do what he says, in the way he says it, when he says it, even if we don't like it. 
And then he begins to shape and, and change our desires, and they begin to be met by him. Now, of course, there are all sorts of reasons why people back off from community. Personal pain, hurt, past experiences. They've been hurt before and not prepared to go there again. I understand that. Disappointment. Had such high hopes for community. Such high hopes for what they said. Such high hopes for those leaders. Such high hopes for how things would work out. And then it didn't. And you think, well, I can't, I can't go through that again. It's just too difficult or too disappointing. Or sometimes people have an unhealthy desire for privacy. It's like, well, I don't want anybody in my business. Sometimes people just don't feel comfortable with other people. Kind of have a sense of fear of being judged. If I, if I really share what's really going on, everyone is going to back off from me and think I'm some kind of freak. Or there's a sense sometimes and think, oh, I just, I got social anxiety or actually it's really difficult for me because of my circumstances or whatever it might be. Or sometimes people don't want accountability. It's just on the point of accountability, it's often really easy to want accountability when things are going well. However, the heart has a tendency to distance itself from others when it does not want to stop what it's doing. And that tendency should scare all of us. If we just want accountability when things are good, we, that should scare us a little bit. Here's the thing, whatever the reason for not being part of community and for backing off, of which there are tons, and often, most of them are seemingly very valid. You think, actually, that's a really good reason, yeah. I can totally understand your reason for taking some time out. I can totally understand your reasoning for not doing that. That seems valid, that seems okay, that seems acceptable, it even seems sensible. At the end of the day, the author of Hebrews, no matter how justified we think they might be, he comes straight to the point, he says, don't do it. Don't back off. Don't stop meeting together. He says it's sinful. He says it's about you're seeking your own desires, not the glory of God. And he says it's a recipe for personal, moral, and spiritual disaster. That's a warning right there. But the flip side of every warning in Scripture is an invitation. And so we've got to understand and see, not just, oh, better not, but see the reason why we should not. And see the reason why we should step in and see the invitation that God has for us. And it's the invitation that we see in these, these verses here, 24 and 25, which is stunning, which gives us the motivation for why we should be in community and how good, healthy Christian community acts. And the, part, the motivation, the invitation is that it's in community that we grow the most. You see, every single one of us physically grows up, right? It would be very, we recognize there'd be something wrong is if an adult, you still looks like a baby. We look at that and we think, actually, there's, something's gone wrong there. Adults are supposed to look like adults. They're not still supposed to look like babies. Now, exactly the same thing is supposed to happen spiritually. We're not supposed to stay as spiritual infants. If you've been a Christian for 20 years, you're supposed to look like a 20-year-old Christian, not a Christian who's done one year of Christianity 20 times. We're supposed to mature. We're supposed to grow. And how does that happen? How does God grow us and mature us? Well, in lots of different ways, lots of different means, experiences, all sorts of stuff. But right near the top of the list is people. God helps us grow through and shaped by other people. It's when we spend time with the people of God from every walk of life, every nation, every tree, tribe, every creed, every class, every color, every black, white, rich, poor, every kind of educational background, every experiential background, every everything. It's when we spend time with people who are not like us that we begin to grow the most. I'm shaped by your experiences. Your experiences have shaped you and they begin to shape me. I'm shaped by, I've never walked, I don't understand what it is to walk like how you've lived. Explain, oh, wow, now I'm beginning to see the world is a, in a very different to how I thought it was. I grew up with all of my privileges and all of my experiences and all of my expectations of what it, and you, you didn't. 
and life isn't like that. Oh, and I begin to learn and begin to shape. And, I've, and then I go through a difficult moment and somebody in my community around me has gone through something like this before and I can learn from them and begin, oh, okay, now, oh, right, now I get shaped by you. And I read the Bible through different lenses. Some of them think this is what it means. And someone comes along and says, mm, that's not actually what that means. And then I begin to be shaped and grown by other people. So how? How do we shape one another in community? Well, this passage shows us three things about the nature of real community, the kind of community that flows out of the access that we have to the presence of God, the kind of community that shapes us individually and changes us individually. First is it's around three words. The first is this, verse 24, consider. So the kind of community that shapes us and changes us is one that considers one another. Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It doesn't just say do it. Stir each other up to love and good works. It says consider how to. It means let us stop and think. Let us ponder. Let us reflect on how we can Look at the friends around us, those who are in community around us. You know me and I know you. Let us think about how I can help you grow in more loving character and how you can help me grow in more loving character, how I can shape you in more of the gospel and how you can shape me in more of the gospel. Now, in a healthy Christian community, we're all supposed to be doing this. I to you and you to me. We're all supposed to be looking at one another and observing one another's lives close enough that things think, how can I help you in this and how can you help me in this? Now, I don't mean taking notes. That would be a little weird. If every time you hang out with people, I've got a little black book. I'm just going to write everything down. I will talk about this later. I'm observing you and making notes. If that's the context within which you're in, it's, that's probably another context, all right? One that you should probably be aware of, and one of you should be a professional and the other isn't, all right? That's where you're taking those kind of notes. We're not talking about that. That would be a little weird, but it does mean that you have a set of people around you who are actively thinking, how can you grow and how can you help me grow and how can I help you not so long ago um, I had a day away with some of our senior staff team and normally we kick off our days uh, with a kind of how are you winning in your area of church life at the moment what's going well what would be even better what can we pray for and I kind of decided to switch it up a little bit and this particular team day and and decided to talk about me because we're all experts at talking about ourselves and I'm I'm really I'm an expert at that and so I thought let's just talk about me so I started off with a kind of First of all, the thing I said, guys, I really want you to be honest. What are some of the ways in which I'm hel- I help this team? What are some of the ways in which I, uh, I help you and encourage you and, and, and I'm good for you? And kind of I sat back as all the plaudits came in and they were really nice to me and they all said really nice things and I felt good about myself. And then I said, okay, guys, um, I now want to know what are all the ways in which I harm or hinder this team? Like what are some of the ways in which I am not helpful to you or to this team, or to the church, full stop. And you could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> I went, no, 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 seriously. I, no, uh, seriously, I'd, lo- I'd, love you to, I'd love you to say, because I want you to help me grow in this moment. That which I'm not aware of, I can't change. And I don't always know how I come across. And I need you. You guys are close enough to me. I trust you sufficiently. You're in my life. I'm in yours. You know me. I know you. Help me grow in this moment. And Tim piled straight in there. He was like, <laughs> <laughs> And after about 400 things, I was like, stop now, bro. <laughs> this is not helping me. No, I'm joking. Actually, there was one of those moments. It was, a, it was a difficult moment, but it was one of those moments. Actually, I, I, I can see that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for having the honesty and the bravery to, to stab me in the front. I appreciate that. 
I would much rather be stabbed in the front than stabbed in the back. I want you to come right up to me and tell me it's straight. And each of these guys on that team, I, I've known them for years. I've worked with them for years. I trust them. They know me. We've shared life together. We don't just work together. We've shared life together. We've been through difficult moments together, fun moments together. All that kind of whole thing. So there's an element of trust. They're close enough. Do you have people who are close enough to you, who know you well enough to be able to point those things out? Are you open and vulnerable enough with them that they'd be able to say, this, I see this in you? Have you cultivated those relationships? Because there's an intentionality here to considering. It doesn't just happen. You know who you're in community with. You know them. They know you. If you're asking those questions, how can we grow? Second one is verse 24, stir up. So we consider and then we stir up one another. Other translations say spur. And the word in Greek literally means to irritate each other. Some of you are like, woohoo! Biblical permission to annoy everybody around me. This is awesome. And some of us are thinking, oh my goodness, I wish you hadn't said that. There's irritating enough people in my life. I don't need them to have biblical permission to carry on doing it. But that's, that's not actually what it means here. This is a command, but it's a command, it's a word that means to sharply confront. Sharply confront. Just think about what this passage is saying. We're being told that if you don't have some people around you whom you allow sometimes to sharply confront you, you're not going to grow. I've, I've grown the most in my life, truthfully, when I've had people around me who, have sharp, who know me well enough and love me well enough to sharply confront me. So a dear friend of mine, no longer in this church, many, many years ago, um, who was close enough to Hannah and I in the early days of marriage, who would sharply confront me on my tone and on my attitude and certain things I said particularly to Hannah. There was one very... very very kind of memorable moment in my life where he took me to one side. He was quite a big bloke and said, if you ever talk to your wife like that again, I'm going to physically hurt you. <laughs> Needless to say, I never spoke to her like that again, at least not in his presence. Um, because it was, it was like this, mo- no, it's a joke. That was a joke. It was this sharp confrontation of somebody who I knew loved me and pointed something out in me that I hadn't seen myself. You got those people close enough. Still to this day, got people who would, things, issue of tone, I, Things you said. I said some stupid stuff a few weeks ago in this meeting about cats. I am so sorry, honestly. Uh, and a few people just said that was not helpful. I was like, I know. And I had a verbal diarrhea moment where I couldn't stop. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. Cats are awesome. But there was one of those moments. You, you, even as we grow and as we mature, you have these moments where you kind of, your brain says, stop talking, and your mouth does not stop. And you go, stop talking. And you, I have enough people close enough to me go, yeah, that wasn't helpful when you said that stuff. There's a sharp confrontation that takes place sometimes, and it's needed. See, so do you have people close enough to you say those things to you? Do you have people close enough to you to say, I have people in my life, if you see me doing this, can you please say? Do you have those people close enough? The Bible says I should forgive, but I really carry bare grudges, and I can't not. Can you help me when you see that I'm not forgiving? The Bible says I should be generous with, um, with my money and give, but I, I just need this to hold on to it. Can you help me when I'm not? The Bible says that I should honor God, but I just have these dreams that I just want to happen, and I don't really know how that works. Can you help me? Do you have people close enough to you that, to stir you up, to spur you on? Third one is verse 25, encouraging one another. Encourage. We need spurring, yep, but we also need encouraging. And this is the exact opposite. And frankly, in our culture, we need to go way bigger on the encouragement thing because most of us don't get anywhere near enough encouragement in our lives. Truth be told, 
Like, I, I feel, just personally, I feel like I need more encouragement in my life because I'm a human being, all right? Every single one of us feels that way. We need somebody to say, well done, good job, you did good in that moment. We need more encouraging in our lives. But truthfully, I probably received, I've just preached in Sidcup, I probably received more encouragement from when I stepped off the platform and walked out of the door with the conversations of people as I walked past them than most of us in this room probably will in a week. The answer to that need for encouraging lies in this room with people in our community encouraging you. Well done. Well done. You went for it. Well done. I'm so, I'm so proud of you. I'm so pleased with you. I mean, everything you said was rubbish and it didn't work at all, but well done for stepping out and saying it. That's where we need to be, even if it's all a complete train wreck and a complete disaster. Let's be a people who encourage one another. Let's choose to look at evidence of the grace of God. Let's choose to say, even though there's not much to encourage you, I see this little sliver and that's what I'm going to focus in on. And then out of that can come the spurring and the, and the considering and everything else. Let's be an encouraging people. So how do we do this just as we finish? Because none of us are perfect and Building community is super messy and people get things wrong. They will spur when they should encourage. They will encourage falsely when they should actually spur. And they will consider things and they'll get them terribly wrong. Like, I know I have. I've considered things about stuff. I've gone, I've just seen it and I didn't get it wrong. That's being human. That's being Christian. People will let you down. They will hurt you. And yet, being in community is still worth it because we're not about our desires. We're ultimately bringing glory to God and we're being shaped in the process. I have been most shaped even when people have got things wrong about me. And they've come at me and stuff and I'm like, in every criticism, there's always a grain of truth and you just got to sometimes find it and just cut out the rest of it. And you got to have people close enough to you that go, actually, no, that's true what they said. But this bit isn't, so ignore that. I want to encourage you in this. And have that around you, those people around you. So how can we face building community with other flawed people? Because let's be clear, we're all flawed, right? We're all needy, but we're all needed. So how do we face building community with other flawed people? Because of the verses that come just before. Because of the assurance of verse 19 through verse 22. Let's have a look. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Wow. The only way we can build community that, that kind of considers and stirs up and encourages is because of the assurance of salvation that we get here in these verses. The assurance of this wonderful salvation of God is the basis for this wonderful community that verses 23 through 25 provide. Why? Well, you can only genuinely love other people when you genuinely understand, first and foremost, that you are loved. Not based on anything you've done, not on your performance, not on whether you get things right or you don't get things wrong. What? You are loved because of God. It's love for you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because of nothing else. He loves you. And you can only genuinely love other people when you genuinely understand that. And that becomes the basis. We can only consider, we can only stir up, we can only encourage without false or poor or sinful motives when we have a true heart. And we only have a true heart when we're shaped by the gospel. We lay all of our illegitimate motives at the foot of the cross. Because some of us have a tendency to be judgmental of other people. 
That's how we find kind of our security in our identity. Well, I'm better than them. Look at you. And we love to point the things out and go, well, I, or we think, well, why am I not being chosen for this particular thing by them? Because I'm better than those people. And we get all judgmental about it. Some of us have a bias. Naturally, that's the way we go. Judgmental. We think more of ourselves than we ought. Some of us go the other way. We have a bias towards seeking validation from other people. We're seeking affirmation from other people the whole time. It's why, it's why we encourage people so they'll encourage us back. It's why we say nice things because we hope they'll say nice things back. It's why when you, when you hung out with somebody, you text them. We had such an amazing time because you're wanting the validation of the text back to say, I had an amazing time with you too. You're awesome. It's the only reason we do it. And the, whether you're at that end or you're at that end, we're both, we're both seeking validation and affirmation from places we should not. And when we come back again to the foot of the cross and we lay it all down and we repent of that motive and that motive and everything else that's not pure from God motive, we again and again and again receive the cleansing by the blood of Jesus Christ, trusting in the finished work of the cross. And we know now that our hearts are sprinkled clean and that while we still get things wrong, we can be asked for forgiveness and be shaped and changed by the work of Jesus. And we can know now a clean and a clear conscience, which enables us to be in community and to play our part in community with confidence. Because when you know by the blood of Jesus that you have been accepted by God himself, when you're accepted by the, you know that you are accepted by the only person who counts, you can go into community and you can have real confidence. When you know that you, you're loved, you're accepted, that destroys your need to get affirmation from other sources. It means you don't need to hide and back off. And it means you've got nothing to hide behind and think you're better than everyone else because you're not. You're free to play your part in community, being shaped and helping shape other people. We're all needy, but we're all needed. And we can draw near to God and to each other because God has drawn near to us. And he's cleansed us and he's shaped us and he's called us and added us into a people to play our part with the unique gifts and contributions that we've got. Yes, we're shaped by the experiences we've had, but they don't define us. What defines us is the finished work of Jesus and our identity is now hidden in him. And so now I'm free. I'm free to encourage. I'm free to stir up. I'm, I'm free to consider. And I'm free even sometimes to get it wrong. And when I do, I ask for forgiveness and I publicly hold my hand up or privately, depending on the context, and say, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And because you're free too, you, you forgive. And we move forward and we shape and we grow one another. And as the Christian life gets more difficult, look at the second half of verse 25. It's going to get more difficult. We need one another more and more to consider, to spur and encourage. We need to be in community. So don't neglect me meeting as some are in the habit of doing. Go find some people who do neglect meeting and encourage them and spur them on and, and get them into community yourself. And draw near to God again and again and again. He's the basis for our affirmation, the basis for our delight, the basis for our confidence. Not what we do, but what he has done for us. And get into community. The next step for you might be DNA. It might be joining a community. The next step for all of us actually today is to go and find someone and encourage them. And say, I see this in you and I just want to encourage you. And if you're British, you're going to find that really awkward and weird. Because we'd much rather just say something slightly cynical. But actually, there's no place for that. In our faith, we want to be those who encourage, who build up, who stir one another and consider. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this incredible gospel. It means I'm now forgiven and free. That's what I am, free. Free to be who I am, who you made me to be with all the gifts and everything else. And I'm free to be in community, not having to hide, with nothing to hide behind. Because your work, finished work of the cross has changed everything for me. 
And now all the affirmation I need is found in you, Jesus. And now all the delight I need is found in you, Jesus. And I want to live my life for your glory and for the good of others as well. Lord, help us to be a community that genuinely considers and stirs up and encourages. Help us to be a community that because of the assurance of salvation, we're boldly confident. And help us to be a community that really genuinely loves one another, that bears one another's weaknesses and burdens and forgives one another's faults and sins, that we wouldn't be like some are in the habit of neglecting to meet together, but would be as a matter of first priority, spending time with you and then time with brothers and sisters in Christ, spurring one another on, growing and being shaped by you. In Jesus' name.